after the sermon, we will sing together from hymn 81, the stanzas 1 through 7. Beloved congregation, brothers and sisters, have you ever looked at an old photo album? I'm sure you have. You can identify many of the people on the photos. But sometimes you really have to look closely in order to recognize someone. You ask another person for confirmation. Is that so-and-so? Really, I can't believe it. Look at how he or she has changed. Sometimes you look at your own picture and you see how you yourself have changed. Look at how young I was at that age. And we look at pictures of our children when they were still small and ask, where has the time gone? And sometimes we long for the old times, especially long for the old times when you see a picture of a loved one who is no longer around. Makes you feel sad. You long for the good feelings that you had of times past. Our appearances change and soon and so do our likes and dislikes. What excited us in the past no longer excites us in the same way. They no longer stir up the same feelings. Our love and our feelings for each other also change. At one time, you may have been madly in love, but that's no longer the case. Perhaps the same thing is true when it comes to church. The sermons and the singing no longer stir up the same feelings as before. We change. Our feelings change. Our world changes all the time. And we don't like change. Generally, we like things to stay the same. But we are into a new year. And we know that things in this new year are going to change again. However, there's one thing that will not change. As the inspired author of Hebrews says in chapter 13, verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And we have to fix our eyes on him. We have to believe in him. For you see, he is the only constant in our life. And that's what faith is all about. And so that's what I will preach to you about this afternoon. As we will see, to believe is to look at the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not to look in the first place at yourself, or in the second place at others, or in the third place at your circumstances. So to believe is to look at the Lord Jesus Christ, not at yourself. We all live putting our faith in something, don't we? Not a day goes by without exercising our faith. When you went to the bathroom this morning, you flipped the light switch on and in the conviction that the light would turn on. And when you started your car this morning, you had faith in the fact that it would start. And also when you walked into this church building, you had faith in the people who built it. You're not afraid that the roof is going to fall on your head. And so 
people have faith in many things. That's even the case in the spiritual realm. Some put their faith in Allah, or in science, or in humanity, or in their good works. Some people even put their faith in faith itself. But now the question is, what is true faith? True faith is putting your trust in the right thing. The object of your faith is never yourself or any feelings that you may have. No, your faith is objective, not subjective. And it has to have the right object. Have you ever been to some church service or to some spiritual gathering or listened to some Christian speaker on the TV or the radio where you were really made to feel close to God? The speaker was dynamic. He mesmerized you with the greatness of God and the miracle of you being in his presence. And the whole experience made you feel good all over. And then you try to recreate that feeling and that experience ever since. You want to experience it again and again. You keep looking for it. You want to feel that kind of closeness to the Lord God again. It's not wrong to feel that way, of course. It is good to be moved, to feel close to God. But you see, that's not the end of it all. Because then the object of your faith easily depends on the messenger or on your feelings rather than the message. And then your own good feelings take priority. But that's not what it is all about. For then you will be disappointed when you can't find that feeling back. You think that that is what faith is all about. It is that feeling of well-being that God gives you at moments like that. And some people go throughout their whole lives looking all over to find that kind of feeling. That kind of well-being. But if that's what you think faith is, then think again. Because then you put your faith in yourself or in your feelings or in those people who stir those feelings But feelings change. You change. You change about how you feel about things and about people. What excited you before is not necessarily exciting in the future. And so your feelings, my feelings, are not reliable. I'm not saying that feelings aren't important. Oh, yes, they are. They're very important. But not important enough to put your faith in them. Not important enough to put them first. No, the object of your faith in such a case is then misplaced. In chapter 11 of Hebrews, we read about the faith of the patriarchs and of many others. It speaks, for example, about the faith of Joseph. Joseph was a man of faith. But how do you think he felt after his brothers sold him into slavery? And when he was put into an Egyptian jail, no doubt, he felt abandoned. Don't you think so? He was removed from family and friends and everything that was near and dear to him. 
Yet, he believed. He believed in God. That wasn't some warm, fussy feeling that he had, was it? No, it was his faith in God. He trusted that God would always be there for him as long as he was obedient to him. Even though everyone and everything else significant in his personal life had been taken away from him. Your faith, brothers and sisters, my faith is only as good as the object in which you place your faith. Light bulbs and light switches will fail you as well. And so will your car. And so will everything else in this world. People will also fail you, including revered loved ones and revered leaders in the church. That is why someone like Calvin and Luther, they did not want their so-called faith movement to be named after them. It's not about people. It's about putting our faith in God. No one and nothing in this world is reliable. And therefore, you and I have to put our faith in the right thing. We may not put our whole trust in anything earthly. Yet that's what we tend to do. Me too. In Hebrews, it says that faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Interesting, isn't it? Of what we do not see. Suppose I had two wallets in my hands, my left hand and in my right hand. The wallet in my left hand is old and worn and dirty and nothing to look at. It's so ugly and smelly that you wouldn't even want to put it in your pocket. And the other one in my right hand is shiny and new and smells good. It smells of new leather. Which one would you choose? Well, most likely you would choose the new, the shiny one, wouldn't you? Of course. That stands to reason. We look at the outside. But then you would choose the wallet on the basis of what it looks like from the exterior. Suppose I told you that in the old worn wallet was a $100,000 bill. And in that new wallet, there were only some worthless pennies. What would you think then? See, what's inside is what counts. Well, the same thing is true with your faith. You have to be careful that you do not look at external things. Your faith is like that wallet. What's inside your wallet? Let me ask you. In other words, what lives inside of you? What do you live for? Who do you live for? What do you see? Is Christ in your wallet? Faith, brothers and sisters, and that includes you, boys and girls, is focusing on Christ. The Bible teaches us that we must put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what it says in Acts 4, verse 12? It says, There is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. 
no other name. Sometimes our faith disappoints us, doesn't it? We try to do the right things and faithfully go to church and read our Bibles and pray, but things go wrong nevertheless. We get sick. The loved one gets sick or dies. Our marriage is on the rocks. A beloved friend betrays you. In spite of your faithfulness, things happen to you. But now let me ask you, does the Lord Jesus Christ ever disappoint you? Has he ever done anything to hurt you? You know what the answer is, don't you? No, he gave everything that he had for you and for me. He gave his life. Now, if that is the case, then faith cannot disappoint you either. That is, if you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, he doesn't change. He's the same always and forever. You and I, we do change, don't we? So does the world around us. And so we as such are not important, nor our feelings. What's important? The Lord Jesus Christ. When you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you realize what he means for you. He came for your sake, for my sake. He came and he suffered and he died. He was put into a grave and he rose again from the dead and he ascended into heaven and is now at the right hand of God. He did that all for you and for me. It's tremendous, brothers and sisters. There's no greater riches than that. But you have to put your faith in him. As you begin this new year, you have to have your priorities right. Your priority has to be Christ. Otherwise, you're always going to be disappointed. You'll be disappointed in yourself and also in others. That's our second point. In Hebrews 11, we are told about the faith of some of the well-known figures mentioned in the Bible. And their faith is held up as an example. So, what did you think when we were reading this, when you read about their faith? How does that make you feel? Does that make you feel inferior? Do you then think that these people are unique and that you could never attain what they attained? After all, their faith is held up as an example. In the Bible. These people are exceptional, aren't they? I could never do what they did. Maybe that's what you also think about some people in the church. There are those who have an easy way about them and who stand out. They are active in church and able to display their talents in many ways. Some are good speakers and organizers. They always seem to be happy. They look good. They have their lives together. Their kids are well-behaved and are also members of the church. They don't seem to have any bad habits. People like to be around them. And you say, well, that's not me. I would never be able to do what they can. I have a hard time speaking in public and praying in public. I have difficulty carrying a conversation. I don't look as good. Things get me down. There are lots of things that I do wrong. One or two of my kids even left the church. Compared to others, I'm a failure. 
But now let's look at some of these people mentioned in the Bible. Let's take a look at the ones mentioned in Hebrews 11. Noah, for example. Of all the people on earth at that time, he was chosen to build the ark. Why? Because of his faith. And yet, what kind of man was Noah? He got drunk. His children found him naked in his tent. That was also Noah. And what about Abraham, the father of all believers? And yet he lied when Pharaoh wanted to take his wife Sarai as one of his concubines. This wasn't just an impulsive moment done in panic. No, this is something that he planned beforehand. The Lord would have taken care of him. But at that moment, he did not have faith in God, did he? Many others are mentioned, including David. What kind of man was David? Well, time and again, he sinned against God. He wasn't the best father in the world. That's why some of his children were also so angry at him. He committed adultery. He was a murderer even. And yet he was a man of faith. And so I can go on and on. Once again, brothers, we may not look at the outside. We do not know what lives in the hearts of others. We do not know what other people's struggles are. Some people are very good in hiding their problems and weaknesses and putting up a good front and good at highlighting the things that they do well. And others, because they feel so inferior, are very good in hiding their triumphs and strengths. We know some of those kind of people in the Bible as well. Think about Saul, for example. The people were so impressed with him that they wanted to make him king. He was tall. He was handsome. But what was he really like on the inside? Don't look at the outside. Faith means looking at Christ, not yourself, not others. Faith means to go to the Lord Jesus Christ with your doubts, with your faults, with your sins, and with your insecurities. These so-called heroes of the faith, they had the same kinds of struggles that you and I have. But they all had one thing in common. They put their trust in God. It's wonderful to see how sensitive the authors of the Heidelberg Catechism were to our own subjective feelings. Caspar, Livianus, and Zacharias are seen as were young men. Yet in spite of their youth, they understood how difficult a lot of people have with their faith, and especially their faith in a God who would accept them in spite of their weaknesses and shortcomings and feelings. For they make it a point to state that we confess that God has granted forgiveness of sins, everlasting righteousness and salvation, not only to others, but also to me. When you fix your eyes on the Lord Jesus, then you put your faith in him. And then all his riches, his riches are yours. Those are God's gifts to you and to me. And when you see it that way, then you do not think first of all about what you lack 
And then you don't think about others either as to what they do have or don't have. For whatever you have is a gift from God. And therefore, we, you rejoice in what God gives you. And also, you rejoice in what God gives to others. We're all different. We all have different talents. We all have different gifts. And therefore, you and I, we may not be jealous of others, even the examples given in the Bible. No, you thank God for them. If you see someone being able to give leadership in the church, then you are thankful for that. It's a good thing that there are people like that. Because that's God's gift. It's because of the Lord Jesus Christ that they're able to do that. It doesn't make them any better. Not at all. God built his church in that way with people with different gifts. And that's also how he wants this church in the new year. He wants to do it on the talents of each and every one of you. But you also have to use the talents that God gives to you. So think about what you can do. There are lots of things. You may not think much of yourself, but there are many things that you can do and probably are already doing. It's true, of course, that whatever you are doing, you can always do it better. I certainly know that about myself. If you, but if you first of all think about your talents as a gift from God, then you will always strive to do better. And because you want to use the fullness of God's gifts. But if you think about what you cannot do, and about others what they can do, then you will be seriously debilitated. Then you will be limited. For then you are using your energy thinking about everyone and everything else and not about the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has given you. You would be surprised at what you can do when you put your faith in Christ. You will be surprised how your life changes when you don't go in accordance with your feelings or in accordance with what you think other people think about you. You'd be surprised how you feel when you put into practice what God has given to you. He has given you the fruit of the Spirit. And that's something you can exercise, and you know what that is. And so, and then you don't let circumstances stand in your way either. That's the third point. As we look back on the old year and forward to the new, then you think about the ups and downs of life. Our circumstances change over time. It's the nature of human existence. We live always in uncertainty. We never know what tomorrow is going to bring. Yet, we worry about what's going to happen, don't we? We have our uncertainties and anxieties. Parents, for example, are always somewhat anxious about the future of their children. What's in store for my child, my grandchild? What kind of difficulties will he or she face as she grows up? When you're young, you also worry about the future. Will I be able to get married? Will I have a husband, a wife that loves me? Will I have a good job? All these things. 
Am I going to have difficulties in my life? Am I going to be able to do this or that? The time that this letter was written to the Hebrews, these people found themselves in extremely difficult circumstances. I don't know if you realize that. But they were being persecuted for their faith. Some of these people to whom this letter was written had lost their property. Some had lost their freedom. It's all mentioned in this letter. And some even lost their life. They faced an uncertain future. And that is why the author gives them these encouraging words in this chapter, in chapter 11. He wants to strengthen them. He wants to encourage them in their faith. And he does that by reminding them of the circumstances of the various figures mentioned in the Bible. He tells them about the uncertain future Abraham faced as he was made to wander as a stranger in a foreign country. And about the uncertainty that he faced regarding his future offspring. And also about the faith of Moses' parents who had to hide their little baby Moses from the Egyptian authorities for fear that he would be killed. And he wrote to them about the uncertainty of the people of Israel as they were led out of Egypt into the wilderness into an uncertain future. And then he speaks to them about the promises that God makes to them. It is such a moving chapter. It is wonderful. It is a wonderful witness of God's dealing with his people throughout the ages. But they did not receive everything that they were promised in their lifetime, did they? No, that's exactly the point of this chapter. Abel made a sacrifice to God in the hope and expectation of a redeemer that the Lord God had already promised to his parents, Adam and Eve, when he told them that through their seed he would crush Satan. Yet, what happened to Abel? He died at the hands of his brother. brother. But God kept his promise, didn't he? And what about Abraham? The Lord told him that he would have a numerous offspring. Did he experience that in his lifetime? No, he didn't. And yet, God most certainly kept his promise. And so, he did to all those he mentions in this chapter. God also makes promises to our children, to the children that we present for baptism. He promises to forgive us the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. But one thing he doesn't promise is that their life, our lives, are going to be easy. He doesn't promise that to them or to any of us. He doesn't promise to us either that we will always have these great feelings of contentment and of God's presence, but he does promise to be with us always, even though when he does not seem to be there, at certain times in our lives. But he is. Just like the sun is still shining when it is hidden behind the clouds. God is always there. He never changes. He always watches over us. And he tells us to hang on to him for dear life in faith. Facing an uncertain future is not easy. 
nor is change always easy. And that is why the Lord God tells us to hang on to him in all circumstances of life. For he has a great and wonderful plan for each and every one of us. When we put our faith in the Lord Jesus, then we look forward to a wonderful future, no matter what happens. And so, brothers and sisters, fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on him every day of this new year and always, and you will never be disappointed. Amen.